Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dr. Vincent Pedre, Medical Director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness. Dr. Pedre is a functional medicine certified practitioner with private practice in New York City since 2004. His practice and philosophy are a blend of both Western and Eastern traditions. Dr. Pedre believes the gut is the gateway to optimal wellness and is the best-selling author of Happy Gut, the cleansing program to help you lose weight, gain energy, and eliminate pain. The book features his gut healing program, which has helped thousands around the world resolve their gut-related health issues, including our very own marketing communications director at Purely. In this episode, we discuss Dr. Pedre's path to becoming an integrative MD, which was rooted in his own personal experience with breathwork, yoga, and meditation while in medical school. Dr. Pedre dives into all things gut health, starting with why our gut microbiome is crucial for our overall health, what factors create an imbalance in the gut, yes, taking a Z-Pack takes six months for our gut to recover, the importance of fiber-rich foods and fermented foods for the gut, including some of his faves, and the first steps in healing the gut, like taking out gluten and adding in leafy greens. Lastly, Dr. Pedre shares some great life lessons, like the importance of getting out of our comfort zone, both in life as well as in our own health, and why we all need more self-love in order to fully show up for ourselves in this one precious life that we have. Keep listening to hear all about Dr. Pedre's knowledge. I'm so excited to share with you our new five grain and seed oatmeal multi-packs. We just launched two incredibly delicious varieties, classic cinnamon and banana nut. Our new oatmeals are unlike anything on the market. Intentionally crafted with a plant-based protein blend of pea and chickpeas, sweetened with coconut sugar, plus superfood ingredients like chia and flax, perfect to fuel your busy day. These single-serve packets are total game-changers with irresistible taste and texture that's ready in literally a minute and perfectly suited for our new lifestyles back on the go or those days that we're still at home and you want an elevated, quick breakfast. So head on over to your local Sprouts or Kroger or head on over to PurelyElizabeth.com and pick up your new favorite breakfast staple. Dr. Pedre, welcome to the podcast. It is such an honor to have you joining today. Thanks for having me. Well, I am so excited to tap into your expertise and really dive into all things kind of gut related. At Purely Elizabeth, our mission is really to help our consumers thrive on their wellness journey and aid in that process. And certainly as we talk about that wellness journey, you can't talk about health and and wellness without correlating it back to our gut. And so, so much I think over the last, you know, couple of years has come out about our gut health. 70% of our immune system is in the gut and there's just so much research and so much exciting new correlations that I can't wait to dive in. But before we get to that, I would love to dive into your own personal story and your own journey and what inspired you to become a doctor and in particular an integrative doctor, because that's certainly not the path for most when you were beginning that process. So let's start with that. Wow. So I'll, I'll give you, I guess, two stories. One is the story of why I, I ended up becoming a, a doctor that is so fascinated with gut health. And the second one is how did I become a doctor in the first place? <laughs> but the first story starts as a child. I was put on so many rounds of antibiotics from probably around the age of 10 throughout my teenage years, I calculated that I was on two to three rounds of antibiotics per year. So 20 plus rounds of antibiotics by the end of my teenage years. And it had just decimated my gut microbiome. And I didn't know this at the time, but I, I can know this looking back at what happened to me was that because my gut microbiome was decimated, I developed leaky gut, and then I became sensitive to the two biggest food groups that I was consuming as a teenager, which were dairy 
and gluten. And a lot of times they were combined together in one meal, like cereal with milk in the morning. I would have probably a sandwich for lunch. And then almost every day when my mom would pick me up from school, we would stop at Burger King to get a milkshake on the way home. Little did we know that we were doing everything wrong and that the pediatricians, you know, they were doing the best that they knew how to do, but they were actually just continuing to poison me with antibiotics instead of really figuring out where, where what is at the root of why my immune system is so weak and why do I keep getting sick? Then why couldn't I gain weight? Because when you have leaky gut, you can either get you, you either gain weight and you can't get rid of weight, or a lot of times you can't gain weight because your body just doesn't absorb nutrients properly, which was the case for me. So they would put me on these horribly tasting multivitamins saying, oh, I just need a multivitamin. Probably back then they were full of synthetic vitamins that I, I would never prescribe to a patient now, but we didn't know any better. And so by the end of my teenage years, uh, I always knew I had a sensitive stomach. And by, by the end of my teenage years, I definitely had IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, an immune system that seemed to be more susceptible than others to infection. So part of my motivation to becoming a doctor was really to biohack what is it that's happening to me, what's happening to my body, and how can I not get sick as often? There were a lot of other reasons, like my, my fascination with science and my desire to truly help people on their health journeys. And I think medicine is this beautiful marriage of, of science and art because to, to be with a person and to help them in the best way that you can, you really have to be in flow and there is a bit of an art to it to understand how to help others. And then there is the science foundation, which is really important. So that's, that, that would, was one of the, the primary reasons that I became a doctor. Another one would have been that I, I'm, my background is Cuban. And if you're Cuban raised at the time that I was raised by immigrant parents, you either became a lawyer, an accountant or a doctor. So <laughs> those were the three choices. My older sister was an accountant. My other sister became a lawyer. So there you go. I became the doctor. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> <laughs> but it truly did match my talents. And I think looking back uh, at the journey, which has not always been easy, it was the best career for me. And, and it's aligned with what I think I was born to do in my mission in life, which is to help people live healthier and happier lives through the foundation of gut health. So... You're in school, you go to school to become a doctor, and I am assuming that there was very little talk about nutrition, given even where we are today, but I, I'd imagine there was very little. So how did you leap from wanting to become a doctor to really exploring a more holistic, integrative, functional realm? Yeah, that ties into a kind of a, a big problem I had which almost kept me from becoming a doctor, which was my, my fear of needles. So I used to pass out anytime I had my blood drawn. If I got an injection, my heart would race. I would break out into cold sweat. And next thing I knew, the room was starting to turn dark. And then I was being woken up and told that, hey, you passed out. Like, are you okay? So <laughs> not the easiest I, thing to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, even before I started medical school and even after accepting a, a spot in medical school, I was questioning like, whoa, can I do this? And I think the greatest gift came from me facing that obstacle and figuring out how, how to overcome it. Because before I started medical school, I learned about the autonomic nervous system and what was happening inside of me because I was trying to figure out, well, what is this that's happening, this fight or flight and <clears throat> this imbalance between parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And so before medical school started, I discovered breath work through a book written by a Harvard trained doctor, Dr. Herbert Benson. And look, at the time I was 
young and thought, okay, if a doctor wrote this and says this works, then I'm going to trust him. And that book has actually been, I think, a worldwide bestseller. So I learned how to use breath work to calm my internal system. And I did this starting eight months before I got into medical school because I was determined to conquer my fear of needles. And I really came from a philosophy in my family, for good or for bad, that you don't take drugs to heal mental issues. You figure out how to deal with them through mindset, through other things. I discovered yoga at the time. So I was doing breath work. I was doing yoga and I also started doing guided imagery meditation, listening at the time to cassette tapes. <laughs> I was just going to say, what of, year was this? <laughs> you're probably mm -hmm. aging me at, at this point. Um, this was 95. So, you know, things were in cassettes or they were in CD-ROM. So I had my Walkman oh, with my headsets <laughs> and I would close the door to my room and I would sit back and listen to a guided meditation. But I was really determined to unravel this very anxious type A person that was living inside of me that I, I knew how to hide because I had performed piano since the age of seven. So I had learned how to present myself in a way that looked really calm on the outside, really calm, put together, controlled. But if you opened the door and looked on the inside, it was like a tornado going on. And so the outside didn't feel concordant with the inside. And what I learned through meditation, breath work, and yoga was to really match the outside to the inside and become the calm, the Zen that I wanted to be. And by the time I got into medical school, my colleagues actually in medical school, I didn't, this is 95. So you have to think like 95, were people meditating? No. no. Were people doing breath work? No. So I was, I was a pretty early adopter at the time, but felt embarrassed about it because it wasn't like common accepted, like, oh, hey, hey, bro, I meditate, high five. No, <laughs> like I kind of do this thing on the side, but what people did notice and I thought was really cool is that they called me the Zen guy in medical school. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and what they didn't know is that every day when I came home from medical school, the first thing I did was put on my meditation tape, lie down on my bed and do a meditation for 30 minutes. And I knew that that was my secret sauce to staying calm during probably, I mean, medical school, if you think college is difficult, medical school is like doing two semesters of college in one semester. You know, you go through embryology, all the classes like you do at lightning speed It's because there's so much information. So you can easily break down like people who have mental breakdowns, like it's, it's tough. And it was such a gift to take what, what seemed like an obstacle that was going to keep me from being a doctor and to instead figure out a way how to conquer that. And it's really become, and, and it's, it, it's defined the type of doctor that I ended up becoming, because to me, the foundation for everything is, is mindset. It's balancing the, the sympathetic and parasympathetics nervous systems. And, and really that ties into gut health and gut healing because the vagus nerve, which is our parasympathetic center for the gut is so important to how the gut functions and also to healing the gut. Wow. Well, I think it's such a good lesson. I mean, what we can set our mind to do and especially, I mean, having a fear of needles, not thinking you could even become doctor and, and really learning the tools that you need, I think is great for anybody. I think it's a, I think it's a strong message and example for people who tend to run away from things that make them uncomfortable, things that they fear. Sometimes that is the portal of entry to the place where you can have the biggest impact on others in your life. And another one for me after the fear of needles was the fear of public speaking. I was, getting... that's exactly where my mind just went to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's uh, among the, the top fears that people have, the fear of public speaking is, is quite big. So I had conquered my fear of needles. And then I realized, well, I have another big fear. And it's the fear of 
getting in front of an audience and speaking. And that one was actually bigger than my fear of needles. Cause that just seemed, you know, cause when you're speaking in front of others, what would go into my head is that, you know, I have like a hundred eyes looking at me and they're all judging me. Yeah. And what if I say something wrong? What if I don't, you know, what if I get, you know, you, you just go through all these things in your head that can completely derail your ability to just be present and be your natural self. So that was another one I had to conquer, but I knew that I wanted to, and I kept putting myself in uncomfortable situations. I started doing TV. I started doing interviews, radio interviews back in the, around 2009, my first TV appearance, get this, was on the Martha Stewart show. Oh my God. <laughs> when it was, it was, we our our show was actually not live. It was pre-recorded, but it was in front of a live studio audience, which already that's like, it's huge. wow, yeah. that's a lot because there were probably at least more than 200 people in the audience, maybe even more. And, and then on top of that, I'm on TV. And on top of that, it's Martha Stewart. <laughs> and that was my first time ever. Nothing Doing like having like, like a that. dry run with somebody smaller before. <laughs> no, but oh. you know what? That that particular episode when she was about to call me on, she messed up my name, pronounced it incorrectly. And as soon as she did that, she called cut and she said, we're going to redo the intro. She started again. And as soon as she did that, I was like, okay, she's human. Yeah, I can do this. And actually it went quite well. I, I went on, I, I, she brought me up and it was more like having a conversation with her, looking at her and I could see the audience in my peripheral vision, but I kind of told my brain, they're not there. Like, don't pay attention to them because if you think about them too much, that's going to make you nervous. Since then, I mean, I've conquered my fear of speaking in public and actually now get up in front of stages and I really enjoy the ability to connect with people at that level and see their reactions and feel the energy that you get when you speak in front of, you know, a thousand people or 2000 people. Like I, I did recently for Tony Robbins, I spoke at an, at an event of his that was virtual. So I had a giant screen in front of me, like impressive, like this screen was probably two stories tall oh, and fun. really wide. And I could see all the people on Zoom and I, and I was right on camera. And those are things that back in, in over two decades ago, if you told me that you were going to do this, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way I'm ever going to get in front of that. But the thing is, I knew that I wanted to have a big impact on people and that the only way for me to do that was going to become to be to become comfortable in front of the camera to become comfortable in front of audiences and it was again it was like the needle thing it's like okay how do i conquer this doing media training figuring out like how to rewire that feeling inside of nerves and tell yourself it's not nerves it's excitement and i just kept telling myself that until now I just don't feel nervous getting on, you know, maybe a little bit. I might feel a little nerves, but once I'm on stage, I'm fine. I think it's such a good lesson for thriving on your journey. It's like be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And it's so important stepping out of your comfort zone for growth. Absolutely. And, and that's something that I think can be applied to anything in life, including people who are on the precipice of dealing with chronic health issues, wanting to feel better, but feeling better might mean doing things that feel a little bit uncomfortable because you're gonna have to do things differently. Because if what you've been doing to this point is keeping you where you're feeling, it's not working, but it's comfortable for you. So a lot of times what, what I find myself doing with, with patients and with people is pushing them past their comfort zone because a lot of times they become kind of comfortable in their status quo and you've got to shake that up and you've got to push them past the inertia that they feel there's always a little bit of internal resistance there might be fear you know and even someone who chronically ill i've had this conversation with patients sometimes there is a fear that 
what will their life be like yeah. if they do feel better again? And can they handle that? So it might actually feel better to just stay chronically where they're at, because on the other side, they're a little bit afraid of what life might bring if they actually feel great again. Yeah, I don't even know. Bringing it back to your practice. So you go through school, you, you find, you know, breath work and meditation. And then when does nutrition come in and how do you ultimately end up becoming an integrative MD and kind of talk about your approach to health and wellness mm -hmm. as you look at working with clients? Yeah. Uh, you know, even though we didn't eat necessarily eat healthily in my, in my home growing up, my father was a bit obsessed with nutrition. And at some point I remember he went and did a food allergy test and he had a long list that was basically taped to the refrigerator of the foods he could eat and the foods he could not eat. So already it was kind of like in my head that nutrition, you know, maybe has something to do with health. And I was always thinking that in the back of my head, observing how I, especially when I went to medical school, where I, I, I just didn't um, plan it, but just stopped eating or having dairy as much as I used to before that, because I couldn't sit and, and eat a bowl of cereal with milk in the morning because I had to just rush out the door. So my dairy consumption dropped. And what I noticed really soon after that is my immune system was stronger and I wasn't getting sick as often. And so as this medical student who's kind of observing and asking questions and just being curious about everything, I thought, wow, that's interesting. If I don't have dairy, I feel better. If I have an ice cream, I get phlegmy and I feel like I produce more mucus. So even though, like you said, like had no like minimal nutrition education in medical school, I was still really curious about nutrition and how I could be healthier and had started incorporating healthy fats into my diet, avocados, olive oil. So there were changes already that happened in, in medical school, some influenced by me and some influenced by my roommate at the time, who was very much into eating uh, a lot more fat than I was used to eating. And I noticed that when I started eating more fat, and less dairy and fat, meaning like avocado, olive oil. Yeah, just healthy fats that I was feeling better inside. I started feeling better. But really what, what got me into, you know, you could say that, that I became interested in integrative medicine by my own experience with breathwork, meditation, yoga, before I started medical school reading books by Deepak Chopra and Dr. Andrew Weil and really kind of like these big ahas, like, wow, this is, there yeah. is a whole other world out there besides Western medicine. So I like to think that when I, by the time I got to medical school, I had done so much reading and self-education that my mind was open in a way that it could not be closed by medical school. And I went through medical school. And one of the things that helped me survive medical school was that I discovered there was a yoga teacher who would come teach in the building where I lived. And she taught Iyengar yoga. And we became really good friends. And then my, my, one of my best friends would come and join. So I had a buddy, then we would go do yoga together. And I found that that kind of kept me level-headed. I would never sacrifice yoga if I had a test coming up because I knew that was going to keep me calm and that I would always perform better if I felt calm and well-rested inside. So that already got me interested in how can this become a part of medicine? There was no path back then. Yeah, you know, so now ahead you of its go, time. Yeah, it was ahead of its time because back then there was no integrated medicine residency. Like now you can go and find a family medicine residency that um, is combined with integrated medicine or Dr. Wiles programs. Back then, there wasn't any of this. So I basically had to look at what had Dr. Deepak Chopra, Dr. Andrew Weil, Dr. Mark Hyman. I started devouring their books and using that as my guidepost, as the path that I want to take, because there was no path. So you had to lay down your own path. And that led me to discover acupuncture. I studied acupuncture. That opened my eyes to systems biology. And then from systems biology, functional medicine made a whole lot of sense. 
And that was the next step when I was thinking about, okay, what else do I want to do? Because my desire was seeking the truth and to bring the best level of healthcare that I could to my patients. And I just didn't believe that the Western model treating disease and treating symptoms was a model that was going to win in the long term. Like it just didn't make sense to me. And I found it to be very unsatisfying because a patient comes in and you're just thinking about what medication can I prescribe to them? But you're not really thinking about, well, how can they change their diet? How can they improve their lifestyle? How are they sleeping? How are they eating? What are, what are the, their stressors in life? How are they in relationships with their loved ones, with their family at work? You know, and how does all of this affect their health and their ability to take care of their health? And that's where functional medicine systems biology came in. And I knew that for me, the type of medicine that I wanted to practice had to be a medicine that felt authentic, that felt true, that felt something that was coming from living from the heart. And I knew that Western medicine was empty, that it was never going to give me that. And that's what really brought me to integrative medicine. I don't, you know, in saying that like Western medicine does a lot of good things and sure. I'm really grateful that my training was as a medical doctor and that I understand all that stuff because I think that the best healthcare is really the marriage of both. Sometimes you do need an antibiotic. Sometimes there's no way around it. And I've saved many people's lives using an antibiotic, but then what do you do after that? You know, you give someone an antibiotic, now you've destroyed their gut microbiome with Cipro, for example, a very common antibiotic. It takes up to 12 months for the microbiome to reestablish balance. With Zithromax, the Z-Pack, it takes six months. Wow. After just five days, it takes six months for your body to recover. But can we accelerate that recovery by giving people probiotics, by working on their nutrition, by doing the right things? And that's what I'm really fascinated about is really understanding you know, how can the two live together and how can we help people have optimal health while paying attention to all of the things that as doctors uh, we do and some of the things that we actually cause problems in people because I've also had the patients come in who have been on multiple rounds of antibiotics like I was mm -hmm. and they're suffering the consequences of it. They're on their fifth sinus infection. They're being told they need more antibiotics, but no one's really looked at the microbiome and see, well, why do they keep getting sick? And is it just, uh, is, is it just bacterial or is there also a fungal issue? Is there a yeast overgrowth? And when you address those issues, then you stop the vicious cycle of having to be on multiple antibiotics. So that's, that's what I do with people. And, and I, I love it. And I, I really feel so passionate about helping people discover that there is another way to heal, but also a way to be proactive about your health so that you don't have to fall into these issues. And that's what I hope to inspire people to do. Well, it's, I, I feel like it must be such an exciting time for you now, like thinking back to when you were in middle, medical school and the conversation did not at all exist around gut, gut health. Sure. And now to see that it's become so much more in the forefront and I, you know, must be incredibly gratifying and exciting for you. It's really gratifying. And I look back and think, wow, like my first thought that I was going to write a book about gut health was in 2012, about a month after my mom passed away. And I was going to be turning 39 in a few months. And I was thinking, you know, when, when you lose a parent, you start thinking about, legacy about the future, how fast life can just goes by just like that. And I started asking myself the question, you know, if you're, you, you're entering your forties, if by the end of your forties, when you're 50 and you look back at the previous 10 years, if you didn't do this, if you didn't write a book about gut health, if you didn't push through whatever resistance there was in me, my fear of public speaking, my, my own self-doubt at the time, can I really do this? Would you be happy with yourself? And the answer was always no, that I wanted to leave a legacy. And it was about 
I'm going to say about two months after my mom passed away that I wrote what became the, the outline for my book, Happy Gut, and eventually became a book deal that I got just out of intention and really just uh, belief in myself and trusting that if I put this out there, that there's going to be people that are going to need this information. And from a book agent to book deal to getting my book done, which then didn't publish until the end of 2015. So just think three years from inception to when it finally became reality. It took a lot of dedication and it had to be something that felt authentic. You know, if you're, when you're putting something out in the world that big, if it's not coming from a place of heart, of compassion, of authenticity, it's not going to have the legs it needs to um, stand the test of time. And yeah, it's, it's just crazy to think that in 2012, I was already thinking a book about gut health needs to be written and talk about the gut microbiome. And now it's, you know, how many years later, almost a decade later, nine years later, it's a hot topic. So and I was so much definitely more research has come out. Yeah, everybody's uh, become much more interested in it. And the research that's coming out is just super fascinating. Like a study that came out from Stanford University uh, just recently that looked at a fiber-rich diet versus a fermented food-rich diet to see, well, which diet is better for the gut microbiome and for the body? And they were looking at the immune system. They looked at inflammatory markers, and they also looked at microbial diversity for anybody who's listening, microbial diversity is the key to health. You want to have a really diverse gut microbiome. What reduces microbial diversity? Well, the number one thing, antibiotics. Antibiotics will cut down on microbial diversity. And there's a belief that every time someone goes through an antibiotic round, that they're not able to recover fully their microbial diversity. I think there are certain ways that we can do so. And, and what this study showed is that a diet that's high in fermented foods will actually increase microbial diversity as well as reduce 19 inflammatory markers. Whereas a diet high in fiber, what it does is it modulates your immune response. And by doing so, it helps your immune system behave appropriately. But it was the fermented foods diet, which is one that we don't often push very strongly, that really improved microbial diversity and reduced inflammation in the body, which is really key and important. Now, for people listening, they might be asking, well, should I be eating more fermented foods? Should I eat more fiber? And I think the true answer is a hybrid diet where you're bringing in fiber because it's so important for the production of, of things like short chain fatty acids by the gut microbiome, which are anti-inflammatory. And, but also bringing in fermented foods and really being cognizant as to what's going on internally with your body. If there's any food that should be tested very carefully and slowly, it's fermented foods because they're not right for everyone and they're not right at, at big amounts. So, you know, I, I've, I've spoken with my friend, Summer Bach, who's a fermentationist and her belief is starting as low as a quarter of a teaspoon, testing out a ferment to make sure that it agrees with your body and slowly increasing it. And it makes sense because if you're already, you know, warning signs that you might want to be really careful with ferment, if you suffer from severe bloating, if you've been diagnosed with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, then those would be reasons to be really careful with ferments because they might actually aggravate your symptoms and you'll, you'll be feeling sicker than, than you were before. And even also with fiber, you have to be really careful when increasing fiber because you're going to get more metabolism of those fibers and they can make you gassy. You have to be careful with uh, resistant starches, which is a form of fiber that can be found in supplements. And a lot of people will start supplementing re with resistant starch because it does things like it help improve blood sugar metabolism. Again, if you do too much too quickly, it can make you really gassy. If you do too much fiber too quickly, it can also constipate you because you have to drink more water when you're increasing your fiber intake. So there's a, a lot of things to consider, you know, don't go from, you know, zero to 60. When you're incorporating these foods, start little by little, and then get into a rhythm where you know your body um, can accept these foods. And for me, like I try to have 
some type of fermented food every day. What are your day. favorite fermented foods to incorporate? Oh, I love, love, love sauerkraut. I don't love like the back in the olden day sauerkraut. I yeah. like the new sauerkrauts, like the garlic, the turmeric, the curry sauerkrauts, you know, all the, the great your favorite flavors. brand that you buy. Oh, geez. Oh, God. Am I going to remember this now? I was just looking at it this morning. I know Hawthorne Valley is one that I've looked at, but there's other brands I, sure. I switch around. And the, the other types of foods, like I'll put a cashew milk fermented uh, drink into my morning smoothie. I did that this morning. And I love pickles. So pickles are always a part of uh, my food armamentarium, especially, and this one is no brand. I go and buy them at the farmer's market from, you know, from the farmer. And they're, I think, much better than what you can buy at the supermarket. Really tasty. So those are some of my top coconut yogurt also. Uh, so a lot of what I do for gut health is dairy-free because a lot of people either are lactose intolerant or they have a sensitivity to the proteins in dairy, the whey or the casein. And for myself, I just feel better. My immune system is stronger when I stay away from dairy, but I still want to benefit from things like yogurt. So I'll buy a coconut milk yogurt instead, non-dairy yogurt. What about fiber-rich prebiotic foods? What are some of your favorites to incorporate? Uh, love dandelion greens. I don't know if people think of those as, as fiber-rich. Uh, dark leafy greens, uh, add garlic and onions to my meals, scallions. Those are all rich in prebiotic nutrients. Uh, sauteed Jerusalem artichoke, always really delicious thing to add. And people might not realize that even blueberries have fiber. So organic blueberries attached, added to smoothie or as a snack, always another great way to add some prebiotic nutrients as well as antioxidants to the diet. So much conversations around probiotics, but why are prebiotics important for the, for the gut? Absolutely. Prebiotics are like food for your gut bacteria. And they're going to feed a whole bunch of different organisms in your gut, or they're going to facilitate the cross-feeding in the gut that happens because some groups of bacteria actually produce metabolites that are used by other groups of bacteria in the gut. And that helps you, again, the study, which I think we need more studies, showed that what fiber does is it helps modulate the immune response. And having a modulated immune response means your immune system is going to act appropriately and it's not going to overreact, which is what happens when people end up hospitalized with, uh, you know, the flu or with this coronavirus, their immune system is overreacting. It's becoming too inflamed and it can start breaking down your own tissue, like your lung tissue. So fiber is really key for that. Whereas when you take probiotics, you're taking only a certain number of strains of probiotics. You know, maybe even a multi-strain probiotic has 10 different strains. But you have to think your gut has 500 to 1,000 different species of bacteria there. So probiotic is just a small representation of the bacteria that actually live and exist inside the gut. And when you're eating these prebiotic nutrients in the form of fiber, you're helping to, you're helping the vast array of microorganisms in your gut flourish and then throwing in some fermented foods which is really interesting then improve microbial diversity then you're really creating a foundation of health for yourself by focusing on what you're feeding your gut microbiome so that's a perfect segue i think to take kind of a step back and really kind of simplify like why is the gut so critical for our overall health and then the second part to that is are we all gut imbalanced that's a big question the the gut is what i say is the foundation of all health i i equate it to the root system of the body in the same way that the roots of a tree are their absorptive surface that they help nourish the tree and and keep the branches and the leaves healthy so when the tree is not looking good, if the leaves are turning yellowish, if they look like they're not well nourished, ask any horticulturist and they'll tell you, you look at the roots, you look at the root system, you look at the soil. Well, when the body is having symptoms, so, and it, there could be uh, symptoms that are related to your gut health, 
that might be arising from leaky gut. So the interface has become more permeable and that allows inflammatory substances and even bacteria or bacterial DNA to get into your system. And that causes inflammation throughout your system. If you just treat symptoms, so if you've got migraines, allergies, asthma, hives, eczema, you know, all these external symptoms, fatigue, joint aches, and if you're just treating the symptom from the outside in, which is what Western medicine a lot of times does, you're missing the actual underlying reason and mechanism for the symptom, which is often arising from the gut. So treating the gut is like treating that root system. It's like opening the hood to the car and really getting to the problem rather than just painting the leaves green, which is what Western medicine often does is just, we're gonna make the outside look pretty and we're really not going to deal with the underlying mechanism, but you'll, you'll feel great because we're going to get rid of your symptoms, but we're not really getting rid of the process that started the symptom, which could be you're eating too much gluten, you're eating dairy, your, your gut interface is leaky, you've got leaky gut, and those things need to be healed for the entire body to heal. We talked about antibiotics as being a big culprit to messing up the gut microbiome. What are some of the other influences, I suppose, that imbalance our gut, stress, food, et cetera? Stress is absolutely a big one and it's an attack on your gut and increases gut permeability. And we know also that stress can alter the type of bacteria that are predominant in the gut. So it can lead to a dysbiosis or an imbalance between good and bad bugs in the gut. The other influences are the standard American diet, eating too many refined carbohydrates, eating artificial sweeteners, they actually do feed gut bacteria and they feed the type of bacteria that are gonna make you gain weight. So those diet sodas are actually now proven to cause weight gain and increase the risk for cardiovascular disease, heart attack and stroke. So you've gotta really look at that, look at the diet, ex excess alcohol intake, and even things that we think are, you know, there that are okay to take because they're available over the counter like ibuprofen and acetaminophen, they both affect the, the makeup of the gut microbiome and they can also affect gut permeability as well. So they increase gut permeability, cause leaky gut. For women, birth control pill can lead to increasing gut permeability. So someone who's taking a birth control pill and is finding that they're retaining a lot of fluid, they're gaining weight, there could be problems with the gut that are, that are being caused by the birth control pill that are leading to you know, all sorts of things in the body that because of an imbalance in the gut and because of the increase in gut permeability. So all these things, they basically cause imbalances in the gut that then lead to all, it's almost like a cascade effect and they lead to all these downstream effects. And the person goes to the doctor and tells them I'm, I'm wheezing or I've got environmental allergies. And the doctor thinks like, let, let me give them an antihistamine. Let me give them a steroid inhaler. They're not thinking, well, how is this tied to the gut? And there's actually connections between the microbiome in the lungs and the microbiome in the gut as well. And, and they, they co-influence each other. What about sleep or lack thereof? How does that affect our gut? Interestingly, I just saw Dr. Will Cole post a study that showed that um, not sleeping enough so poor sleep activates genes that increase inflammation in the body. And so when you're not getting enough sleep, one thing that does happen also is you tend to start craving foods that are not good for you. So like refined sugars, carbohydrates. I know this happened, like they've done studies on where they've sleep deprived, healthy, normal subjects. And what they find is that they start to crave more carbohydrates and more sugar. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was doing my residency training in the hospital and staying up to all hours of the night, you know, at three in the morning, you're like, well, how am I going to make it through the next hour? You go to the vending machine and buy some M&Ms or something, you know, unhealthy. Back then, I didn't know what I know now. I would have uh, done things differently. And the more you eat of those foods, the more you're going to create imbalances in your gut. That's going to lead to changes in gut permeability. It can affect your immune system. 
and that causes a whole host of problems. So it might be chicken or the egg here, what's causing what, but it can definitely cause problems with the gut. And a lot of times when you're not getting enough sleep, then you're causing an imbalance between your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. Eventually you start to get kind of like hyped up in this kind of like adrenal state where you're, you're wired, but you're tired at the same time. And at nighttime, you can't fall asleep. And that's also going to affect the permeability of the gut. So all these things and high cortisol levels from stress are going to alter the gut microbiome as well. So a lot of these factors all sound like things that probably most of us are experiencing in our life. And so would you say that most of us are living with a gut imbalance? Most, most people are probably living with some, some level of gut imbalance that could be as simple as an increase in gut permeability because of stress, because of not eating the right foods. And it could be as bad as a yeast overgrowth, parasites, you know, all sorts of things that can arise from just not having the right diet. So what would be, I guess, the first step, A, in figuring out, like, how do, how do you test? How do you f find out whether you have gut issues? And then secondly, what are the best tools for starting to heal and give your gut what it needs? First of all, with testing, a lot of this is the type of testing that you would want to get is, is through functional labs that do functional gut testing through things like a stool PCR. So for example, Diagnostic Solutions, Genova Diagnostics, Vibrant America Labs, all of these do tests that look at stool PCR and at least can give us a better mirror of what's happening on the inside, along with looking at certain types of stool parameters like inflammatory markers that can tell you if there's an overactive immune response in the gut. And even you can look at markers for gut permeability, including labs like Cyrix, Vibrant America, where they look at things like antibodies to zonulin, which is the molecule that controls gut permeability, or even antibodies to the cytoskeletal proteins that keep the cell structure intact in the gut, like antivinculin, for example. So if you look at all these stains, that can give you an idea of what's going on in the gut. And a lot of people ask like, well, do I have to have gut symptoms to have a gut issue? And a lot of times you don't. So you might have gut related symptoms. Like I talked about like allergies, asthma, migraines, hives, fatigue, mental fog. So things that don't seem to be related to the gut, but are actually rooted in gut health. And you may or may not have gut symptoms. So it doesn't matter if you have gut symptoms, if you have all these gut related health issues, it's probably a wise idea to look at the gut and see what's going on there and see if there's anything that needs to be fixed. So that was the the first part of your question was the testing. And the second part is what do you do about it? Yeah. So you find out like you've got all these gut issues, you know, and, and look, it can be as personalized as you work with a functional medicine practitioner who knows, or a naturopathic doctor who knows how to get in there and do the right types of treatments, or you can be self-guided. And that's why I wrote my book, Happy Gut, to help people learn a plan that I've tried and, and tested on many, many patients and works. And for that reason, but, but I also understand like for some people, they can do a diet and they're self-directed and that's fine. And some people, they need a little more support. And that's why I created these programs that are available on my website on happygutlife.com, the 28 day program, as well as the seven day detox, which are self-guided cleanse and detox that come with the right types of supplements. So you don't have to, it takes all the guesswork out. So you don't have to figure out what is it that you need to do in order to get your gut back in order. And the reason for the difference is that what we found is some people they just feel like they don't have the 28 days, or maybe they need to feel like, okay, is this really going to work? So if I can get them to do a seven day detox and see that, wow, this, this does create a difference. A lot of times they'll jump and then do the 28 day cleanse. Cause they realize, wow, there's something to this. And I didn't think I could feel this good. And, and that happened to me because I thought that having IBS and having irritable bowel was going to be my normal for the rest of my life until I discovered that, wow, wait a second, my gut microbiome was decimated by all the antibiotics that I was on when I was a child. My diet was bad. 
So I changed my diet. I brought in probiotics. I started eating prebiotic nutrients, then fermented foods. And I was able to change what I thought was going to be a permanent feature for the rest of my life and reverse my IBS and then started working with patients and on their health issues, particularly centered around gut health. And I'm just was astounded that so many people have these, these problems. And second, they don't know what to do about it. And third, what you can do about it is actually pretty simple, but you have to know the right things to do. And once you know the right things, getting healthy is actually um, not that difficult. Uh, but a lot of people need that that guidance, and that's why you know there's many different levels for people. You know, you, if you want to read my book, you can read my book. If you want to just jump in, and do the the program, or even if they go to my website, they can get the quick start guide that basically is like the cliff notes to my book, or they can dive in and do one of the programs, and or they can even start at an, an easier level, which is through a company that I've worked with called NatureMD, and I created a gut lining support powder called Gut Connect 365. And that in itself, even if you just want to dip your toe and see, okay, I'm just going to do this little thing and see how that works for me. That's another really great starting point. You know, it depends on where somebody is in their healing journey and how ready they are to make significant changes in their lives and what also fits into their schedule. So if there was one food group that you could say that it was like, okay, I'm going to start somewhere and there's one thing to take in and one thing to take out of your diet, what would you say? I would say start with gluten, start with wheat, because wheat causes an increase in intestinal permeability for all people, including people who are normal. So taking gluten out can really create a big difference in how a person feels. And you can know that within four to six weeks. And the one thing that people need to bring in, I think everybody doesn't eat enough vegetables. So just bringing in more servings of vegetables per day, trying to get something green on the plate, at least I would say with lunch and dinner every day is really important, whether it's like steamed broccoli or it's a salad. Again, depending on the baseline health, the worse a person's gut health is, the, the, the less they will tolerate raw vegetables. And so they need to start by bringing in things that are cooked first. And as their gut heals, they can start moving on to less cooked, more raw vegetables. Wonderful. All right. Well, we are going to wrap it up with some rapid fire Q&A, although I feel like I could ask you questions for another hour. So jumping in, what are three random things that you're currently loving? Could be three, product, anything. Three things that I'm loving. Well, I mentioned the sauerkraut. I'm definitely loving on all of the different brands that are putting out different types, like a curry, like a dill. I love my garlic sauerkraut that I'm, that I've been just eating every morning with breakfast. <laughs> I'm definitely loving on that. I'm also, God, let me think for a moment, because it could be anything. It doesn't have to just be food, right? Or Yeah, it could be anything. It could be a podcast, a TV show, anything. Yeah. A restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably eating out less. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely loving on exploring, and I just posted this on my Instagram at Dr. Pedre, using my slow cooker to make meals that you just put together in the morning. And when you come back at the end of the day, uh, when I go to work and you just walk into an apartment that smells amazing yeah, and your, okay. your meal is, is already done. So yesterday I made a slow cooked grass fed pot roast with small uh, potatoes and multicolored carrots and shiitake mushrooms. So I'm definitely loving on that. And I'll say the third thing, because it's getting into fall, winter, I'm really loving on bone broth, uh, which is excellent for gut healing. Either drinking it in the morning as just a cup of bone broth by itself, just as a way to start the day with my breakfast, or using it as the base to make a really stocked up soup with a bunch of different vegetables and sweet potato and stuff. So th those are, I guess I went for food anyway, because I'm such a foodie, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really loving on, on bone broth as it gets colder. And it's just such a great, 
immune booster. And it's so easy to just throw everything into a pot and then just let it cook. And then you've got a meal in a couple of hours and it's going to taste amazing. Yeah. It's so funny. I, this whole week, actually, I made three different soups, all bone broth based and all with an array of vegetables. Knowing I was talking to you, I was like, I need to have a variety of vegetables in my diet, all with leafy nice. greens and some other added ones. And it's, it is soup season. So it's a good time totally. to, and, and I, I don't think I ever have soups that are better than the ones that I make at home. Absolutely. <laughs> what is your favorite wellness hack? There, there are many that I can speak to, but one, one is fasting, like intermittent fasting. So not, not every day, but skipping breakfast, maybe just having a green tea or a matcha instead, and then just waiting until lunch to eat. So will allowing... you do 14, 16 hour, 12 hour? Yeah, probably like 16 hours from, from dinner to the next day. I tend to do it more on the weekends because I, I still especially when I'm, um, I'm at the office, like I do need fuel in the morning. So I'll do a 12 hour fast on regular nights. And then on the weekends, maybe a longer fast, 16 hours, wait until lunchtime to eat something. And it's just so good to just to experience the feeling of, of what is it like to be in your body when you're fasting and you might feel a little hungry, but you know, what can you do to get through it? Maybe some breath work, some meditation, exploring that feeling that is so good for reducing inflammation, for helping the gut, giving the gut time to do its housekeeping functions and also getting into autophagy where your cells can start to release old proteins and recycle things out that, that no longer serve you. What do you want more of in your life? I always want more love can always use more love. <laughs> you know, when it comes to love, I what I've been exploring for the last two years is, is self-love and, and what types of decisions and actions come from being full of self-love. And what are the things that sometimes we do, we compromise in the name of love, but not necessarily in the name of love for ourselves. I think people who are givers, a lot of times they, they do a lot for others. They put themselves last and then they find that they're run down. So, so really exploring what, what does it mean to, to love myself more? And if I love myself more, what, what more of me can I bring to the world as a result, you know, and gift the world with that love? Well, I love that. <laughs> That's beautiful. What do you want less of in your life? I always can use less stress, but <laughs> I seem to, you know, take on a lot of things, but I'm, I'm learning to be more, more of a filter and say no to certain things, but I tend to be very giving. So I fly around, like we were talking in, before we went on, I, you know, giving lectures in different places. Sometimes it can be become a lot, but mostly I would say, I think anyone would say less stress, but stress is, a, is really an internal perception. So whenever I'm feeling more stressed, I know that it's calling me to slow down, to meditate, to breathe, to do the self-care work that is so important to be able to handle the very big plates that I carry in both hands. What is a meal that you'll never forget? Oh, yeah. This, this kind of sounds like a question that someone asked me at one time. That was, if you had one meal that would be your last meal on earth, it's the, it's the last meal you can eat before you transition. You're, you're going you're gonna to leave this body. It would be a meal that my grandmother used to make that is known as a caldo gallego. So again, it's a soup. Um, it's a Galician soup that is very rich in a lot of different meats and white beans, and it has collard greens in it. So it's, it's a really hearty soup, but the way she made it, which was a recipe handed down to her from her grandmother was so delicious and so memorable. It was, it was one of the most memorable 
meals of my childhood and it, she would only make it for special occasions. So I think it highlighted it even more, but it is, if I could ever, if I could bring my grandmother back <laughs> down just to make that meal for me, if you can imagine this was a time when, you know, grandmother was in the kitchen all day and it was slow cooked and yeah. it was tended to with so much love that the final product was just so rich not just in what was in the food, but was in all the love that she poured into it, that you could feel it when you ate it. It was pure vitamin L. Yeah. The best advice that you've gotten in the past six months. That's a big one. God, I, I get so much advice from different people and mentors. I really want to tie it back into what I want more of, which is to, to fully and completely learn to love myself unconditionally and imagine what life can bring from that place. And I didn't understand when I was given that advice, what that meant. And now I think I understand it more that when you love yourself fully and unconditionally with all aspects of yourself, you know, your quirks, the things that might annoy other people. It allows you to show up and be all of who you are with everyone, you know, in every moment of life. So I think that that is a, a powerful piece of advice that I've gotten recently. And, and actually recently, it finally assimilated it and realized what it truly meant, you know, cause it went from a lot of times we hear advice and we hear it as words mm -hmm. like, yeah, that sounds good. But until you fully assimilate it and then kind of like alchemize it make it part of your being and then see, feel what it feels like to live that advice, it doesn't really fully sink in. So yeah, it's tied to what I want more of. And it was a piece of advice that came from a dear friend and work colleague, someone who I know has the vision of the highest good for me. And so it came from a place of heart and now I can truly see it. And hopefully people listening to this also feel inspired to explore that. Like, what does it mean to love yourself fully and unconditionally and with compassion? you know, and forgiving yourself for the things you do that make you feel guiltier, that you feel like you self-sabotage. Can you also love that part of you? Can you love the shadow parts, the parts that are not always good and make them a part of you? Don't like shun pieces of you, like bring everyone together, all the pieces and love all of that. And then what could you do in the world if, if you resonated, if you vibrated from that place? Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. So the last question, the rapid fire, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? My number one non-negotiable is self-care. That is always, well, I can't say it's always been because there have been times and I talked about pre-pandemic pre sometimes um, I've gone out of self-care and the pandemic, really the quarantine pushed me back into meditation, yoga. And I realized that regardless of whether I'm traveling, I'm busy with work, self-care cannot be compromised because when it is, then other things start to fall apart. So that's my non-negotiable is self-care. And that can mean like, you know, taking a hot shower and then ending with an ice cold shower at the end. That's part of my self-care, intermittent fasting, meditation, yoga, getting out into nature, making time for doing nothing, enjoying some, a show that's going to make me laugh. That's all self-care. Wonderful. Well, in closing, last two questions, what's next in wellness? What do we have to look forward to in the coming year? I think still like more understanding of how the gut microbiome relates to a lot of different aspects of health, including mental health. And I think that's going to be a big topic as people 
you know, figure out and come out of uh, a very difficult and trying time for many that has caused a surge in, in mental health issues. And hopefully bringing into awareness and consciousness that mental health starts in the gut as well. It's not all in your head. And there are connections with the gut microbiome that can help improve mental wellness. And then lastly, what's next for you? Is there anything we haven't touched on? Well, I'm working on my second book right now. Congratulations. It's going to be on gut health. I think it's going to be an incredible book. And that's big. And when will that come out? That is slated for 2023 right now. So a little bit of a ways away. The other thing that's big, and normally I wouldn't say these things, but I guess I'll, you, you, can, you, can be the, you can claim that you heard it here first. So Perfect. I'm committing myself <laughs> to it. Uh, I'm, I'm meeting with someone next week to talk about doing a TED Talk. Congratulations. So that's huge. That's going to be, that's a big lofty goal for me. And that's a goal for 2022. Well, that's amazing. And that certainly brings this conversation full circle from talking about being scared to public speak and then going to do a TED Talk. Yeah, to being excited about actually getting on a stage and doing a TED Talk. So that's in the future. And hopefully more, more content, more content on Instagram, Facebook, and continuing to get out there and, and help people learn how they can live their, their best life happily and healthily with the foundation of gut health. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Pedre, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Like I said, I could talk to you for another hour, but this is so wonderful. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.